we got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the dim. It go down. It go down in the dim. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Tim Matheson, and you are listening to the amazing, colossal Gilbert Gottfried's Clef fucking podcast. Hold on. <laughs> That's the one. That's it. <laughs> That's the one. Now, I am Tim Matheson, and you are listening to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal fucking podcast. <laughs> I'll give you a straight one. Thank you, buddy. Hey, I'm Tim Matheson, and you are listening to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. Now say fuck. Godfrey, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast. I'm here with my co-host Frank Santo Padre, and we're once again recording at Nutmeg with our engineer Frank Verderosa. Our guest this week for our first ever Father's Day episode are two of the most prolific, versatile, and successful comedy writers of their respective generations. Jay Kogan is a four-time Emmy-winning writer, producer, and director who's written for hit series like Frasier, Malcolm in the Middle, Everybody Loves Raymond, The Tracy Ullman Show, The George Lopez Show, News Radio, and School of Rock, and was one of the original writers on The Simpsons. He, along with former partner Wallace Wall Waladarski, Waladarski. <laughs> also wrote what many viewers, including my co-host, consider to be the best episode in that show's 30-year history. Last exit to Springfield. It is the best. Legendary producer and comedy writer Arnie Kogan has written for popular TV programs such as Candid Camera, The Mary Tyler Moore Show, The Bob Newhart Show, Newhart, The Dean Martin Show, The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, Empty Nest, The Love Boat, The Tim Conway Show, 
and of course the Carol Burnett Show, for which he took home three Emmy Awards. He's also been one of the usual gang of idiots at Mad Magazine since, get this, way (laughs) back in 1959. Between them, they put jokes and dialogues in a mouth. Or dialogue. Yeah, I, 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 thought, I thought I would sneak that by. Between them, they put jokes and dialogue in the mouths of some of the most popular entertainers of the last half century, including the aforementioned Carol Burnett. Johnny Carson and Bob Newhart, but also Soupy Sales, Don Adams, Shelley Berman, Flip Wilson, Harvey Corman, Sammy Davis Jr., Kelsey Grammer, Brian Cranston, Phil Hartman, Ray Romano, Jackie Mason, Mike Myers, and Eddie Murphy, just to name a few. Please welcome to this show two of the funniest people walking the earth and the most talented father and son since Wallace and Noah Beery. <laughs> Arnie Kogan and Jay Kogan. I don't remember I don't remember walking the earth, but if you say so, okay. <laughs> Was that intro long enough for you guys? <laughs> Thank you. Well, good night. Jay's credits are much better than mine. Screw you, Jay. That's okay, Pop. I don't okay. know about that. All right. Now, Arnie, before anything else, yes. we, we need affirmation on this story. I've yes. told it on the air a few times, but yes. unfortunately, I was not there. <laughs> uh, great comedy writer, Pat McCormick, uh-huh. uh, used to meet all the other writers and pals <laughs> To have lunch together. Going right for uh, it. Like once yeah, yeah. a year. Uh-huh. Now, do you know the story? I think I know the story you're talking about. I was not there, but I heard. A lo- I definitely heard about it. Well, tell the it- story. <laughs> <laughs> it, was n- it was not done over my, over my house. <laughs> I was not one of the people in the helicopter. <laughs> Happily married men. I, I, I was the pilot of the helicopter. <laughs> uh you want me, would you yeah, like yeah, to yes, it? please. Uh, well, please. the story goes, as a, uh, Pat arranged, I forgot what the occasion was, I think he arranged for friends and writers of his, uh, and he hired to get in a helicopter, uh, I don't know how many there were, there were about six, seven of them, he hired some hookers, <laughs> and I believe, <laughs> which the beginning of every helicopter story, sure. <laughs> and uh, as, they, as they flew over each home of, of the resident writers, each of the hookers performed a service for each of the writers. <laughs> right. And uh, exactly as they were flying over the house. Did you know the story, Jay? I've heard the story. Now, I would have trouble maintaining an erection. <laughs> with, it's in the helicopter and over my house. Like There's, there's going to be trouble. Was I'm, that a in sandwich, front, In front of other writers? I mean, I've, there's a lot of problems I've with I've had seven guys on my roof doing yeah, the same I, thing. I think but, there was, uh, it was a lunch thing. It was a sandwich. Yeah. So he yeah. gave them all a bag with a tuna sandwich in it and an apple. I, I never heard the bag and yeah, apple yeah, thing, yeah. but I, I believe you. That was from Ronnie Shell. Uh, Ronnie Shell, then you got to believe it. We heard Buck uh, Henry's version on this show. We had Ronnie yeah. Shell tell a version. 
I think Ed uh, Weinberger told a version. And and yes. I think the ending of the story is that one of the writers got home and she said, so how was your lunch today? <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he said, fine. And, uh, and he goes, how was your evening? And she goes, it was okay, but I couldn't sleep because a helicopter kept circling the house. <laughs> And something fell on my roof. I don't know what. <laughs> the, the, that's, uh, <laughs> I, I, that's Troy. It's got to be true. I wasn't there, but uh, Pat has done many stuff, many things like that, and I'll tell you more about it later. But yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. Yes, you, you especially were, since Ronnie Shell mentioned it, of course. Yeah. Well, you know, you hang out with those Yarmy Armies, the Yarmy yes, Army yeah, guys. Been, I mean, you're a member of that. that I've been there that since tribe. the beginning. Yeah. Yes. And, yes. Yeah. and name the people who are a member <laughs> of Yarmy. I, I don't know who those seven people were. Or seven, <laughs> I'm not. They could have been around uh, 19. I don't know. Uh, like when he was doing the Danny K show at the time. I think it was. Um, and the people in Yarmy's army or in the helicopter? Oh, in Yarmy's army. Oh, Yarmy's army. Yes. Or yeah. name the hookers who are in the <laughs> helicopter. <laughs> They're all the hookers are presidents of Yarmy's army. Uh, Don Adams' brother is was Dick Yarmy yeah. when he passed away, uh, or when he was very ill with cancer. A lot of the comedy writers and friends got together with him and tried to cheer him up. We had dinner with him uh, every week, and after he passed, we said, you know, this has been fun. Let's continue the group. And it was originally it was Ronnie Shell, Harvey Corman, Hank Bradford, uh, Howie Storm, um, Tom Poston. There were about 40 comedy writers, actors, comedians. And uh, we've kept it going all these years, since 1990, I believe. Wow. There was a meeting last night. I wasn't there, but there was a meeting of the Army's last Still night. Still going strong. Yeah, the hard part is finding someone with cancer every time, <laughs> every single time. Otherwise, it's no fun. <laughs> well, you you wrote something nice about Pat when he passed, Arnie. I, I think it was in the Writers Guild magazine. I did, a, yeah, I did a whole thing about sweet. that. It was sweet, and uh, yeah, it was very uh, great affection for Pat, and um, he did incredibly. You know, he was a bizarre, brilliantly funny guy. Uh, tall man, very tall man. Mm -hmm. And um, he did, uh, well, I'm trying to think of all the amazing things he did. Well, I mean, I like that he wore a priest costume. That's well, he did, yeah. He would, <laughs> besides, besides, besides streaking The Tonight Show and dropping his pants a lot, sure. he would, on social occasion, you never knew what he would do. We'd be in a restaurant like the Dome, 10 of us. Uh, oh, we all knew Pat, but this time I was, may have been Jack Raleigh had a date. She never met McCormick. We're all sitting there. McCormick came in dressed as a priest. So he walks in, and we're used to this. I've seen him in, in seafood restaurants dressed as a giant snail. He's done many things like this before. So he sat down, and he did and immediately did 12 unpriest-like things. He would say there was a little cup of either mayonnaise or tartar sauce. He held it up and said, all that's left of the Errol Flynn estate. <laughs> That's <laughs> oh, hilarious. That's then, he, then he proceeded to do uh, many more things. And finally, he turned to the young girl who was attractive and he said to her, My dear, a blessing on your vagina. <laughs> oh my gosh. She turned to her date and said, Is he really a priest? <laughs> <laughs> and then Pat proceeded to go leave the restaurant. He took, it was a fancy restaurant, he took all the fireplace equipment. And put it in his pants, the poker and all the fireplace equipment. He 
He started to walk out. The manager said, excuse me, you'll have to come back and replace that. He did. Then he walked out on Sunset Boulevard and proceeded as the priest to bless a lot of automobiles. I blessed this Ford Fairlane. I blessed this <laughs> Toyota. He blessed about nine cars, and that was the evening with Pat. That was a typical <laughs> evening with McCormick. You guys wrote together on, uh, was it Carson? No, no. It was the, well, we, we, wrote on, we wrote together on Carson, but we first met on the fun, a show called The Funny Side. On The Funny Side. Oh, show. Bill Persky's show. Bill Persky, Persky and Dunoff. And yeah. uh, Gene Kelly was a host. As a host, he would do everything except sing and dance. He just <laughs> that was <laughs> trying to break out of that yeah that that cellar yeah, of singing and dancing stereotype. So we had uh, the premise was five couples: an older couple, a younger couple. Bert Mustin. Younger, Bert Mustin was the old couple. Yeah. Um, the girl, um, Queenie Smith. Queenie Smith. Queenie Smith. Old, John, uh, John Michael Lembeck. John Amos, the black couple, a blue collar couple, a uh, urban couple. Uh, Dick Clare and Jenna McMahon oh, sure. performed and wrote for Burnett. Um, Cindy Williams was part of the younger couple. Five Michael Lembeck, right? Michael, Michael Lembeck and Williams, yes. Yeah. yeah. So five couples would just do a, a, the funny side of, uh, of newspapers, the funny side of weather, the funny side of relatives. One week we had a guest host, Jack Benny. McCormick and I were, were by the way, preceding that, Sam Donoff said to me, you know, why don't you work with McCormick? We're going to put you in the room with McCormick. And he was like a rock star. He was like my idol. And it was like going, uh, you know, he's like an apprentice electrician working with Thomas Edison. I said, okay, I'll work, I'll work with him. And it was great. And uh, our first week there, we did some stuff for Jack Benny. So I worked with McCormick and Jack Benny in the same week. It was brilliant. Wow. And it was oh. terrific. So we met there. And then we did, uh, for about two years, work together on comedy material and uh, the Tonight Show again. We did a lot of projects together. Yeah. And, and I always like to hear, what was Jack Benny like to work with? I heard, I just remember that one time, I heard he was delightful and terrific. I knew some Benny writers and uh, he was a very sweet guy. And I think the best Benny line ever on his radio show was not your money or your life. It was one episode when he was in a tour bus going through Beverly, not he, but there was a tour bus going through Beverly Hills. And the bus driver said, and here's the house, the house of Gregory Peck. And over here is the house of Alice Faye. Here is the house of Clark Gable. And over here is the house of Jack Benny. And you hear, getting off. <laughs> getting off. That's funny. <laughs> So <laughs> what? What about the McCormick story? And Buck Henry told us this, but yeah. I've heard that it, that we've heard another version of it that it wasn't Pat McCormick, that it was actually Jonathan Winters. You know, the NJ, you know this story too. It's a famous showbiz story that a woman asked him for directions, uh-huh. and he and he and he takes out his 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 junk <laughs> and starts pointing oh, yeah. and says, "Follow this." You see this vein? This is the one hundred one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, I heard that's true. Yes, yeah. Uh, we hope it is. Frank, I was shielded from a lot of these stories when I was a kid, so I don't know a lot of them. He uh, he was in a uh, supermarket with Jack Riley, and he's, he's wheeling his shop out. He gets to the checkout counter, and he said to the lady, excuse me, do I have enough toilet paper for all this food? <laughs> <laughs> also fantastic. Yeah. Oh. But he'd drop his pants a lot. He would do a, you know, a lot of credit. At his memorial, when he passed away, in tribute to... Pat, a lot of the guys got up on stage and we dropped our pants. We got up on stage oh, and about great. 20 of us, of us dropped our pants. So. I love that. Yeah. Jay, Jay this is a jump because I said we were going to jump around a lot. 
And uh, you wrote something nice. Your, your dad wrote something nice about Pat when he passed, and you wrote something nice about an, a, a friend of yours, uh, somebody you knew a long time in the business, Gary Shandling. Oh, you, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, when people die, they uh, uh, it, it brings back memories of that person and memories of that time in life. And, and uh, Gary was a very influential guy to me. I worked on It's Gary Shandling's show as a, as a PA. Mm-hmm. So I basically got him yogurt mm-hmm. uh, a lot. <laughs> and... Uh, and if you've ever, there's something traumatizing about watching Gary Shandling eat yogurt because it's, he had pretty big lips and the yogurt didn't all go inside the mouth. It stayed on the outside. Um, but he was an amazing, interesting, fascinating guy and always in search of, you know, egalitarian, mm-hmm. would ask everybody everything. So mm-hmm. being a PA didn't mean I was less than, but his his whole MO was just trying to find the better script and make the joke funnier and make life better and you know all that stuff was great except he lived in in a little bit of a torture because you know he, he saw the he saw the problems yeah and that's what caused him to want to find the better thing and what i wrote was about being in hawaii with gary yeah. and he looked out at the beautiful sunset uh, in hawaii and said you know it's good, but it's not great. <laughs> I was like, Gary, it's Hawaii. It's a million-dollar sunset. And no, it's not great. And so I was, you know, I, I always wished for Gary to be happy with the sunset. We had the same therapist. He went more frequently than I. He went like four times a day. I went every springtime, one hour to a therapist. You really did have the same therapist? I, really, I love that. Yeah, we did. We did, yes. But, I, yeah, I only went there once a year. Dad should have gone more. <laughs> <laughs> How well did you know Shanling, Gilbert? Did you, you, you guys, uh, you guys cross paths? He a bunch. was one of those guys I would run into a lot, and we'd talk. He was friendly. What I, the only real Shanling story I remember is after I had a burst appendix, I uh, I had to get another operation to sew my stomach back together. And and I was talking to Gary about it, and he said, "When hospital are you gonna have it?" <laughs> and I said, uh, "New York Pioneer." And he said, "Well, that's, that's kind of a strange hospital. For, don't you think it should be uh, New York Stomach and Ass?" <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and now, Jay, before I forget... Gilbert. Yeah. Fuck you. I was never asked to be on The Simpsons. (laughs) (laughs) That's on purpose, Gilbert. Uh, Well, Your voice voice was pretty synonymous with other cartoons and other other networks and stuff. You were typecast as the parent. Okay. (laughs) We had Mike here. We had Mike Reese here. He gave him the same shit. Yeah. 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 No, it's a... a, you know, there was a time at the very beginning of The Simpsons when we couldn't get anybody. And then immediately after it became a hit, we began to get anyone, which was amazing. Uh, I went, I once tried to get Bruce Springsteen to come on the show. And and uh, no, I, I couldn't get him. John Landau, his manager, I could get on the phone and kept saying, well, maybe he'll do it. Maybe he'll do it. And then I saw Bruce Springsteen at a movie theater in Los Angeles. And I ran up to him. Saying, Bruce, Bruce, I have to talk to you. Not realizing he's a rock star. And yeah. people are haunting him all the time. So 
I'm a big guy, uh, and he was a, he was with his wife Patty, her girlfriend at the time, and basically he protected her from a crazy <laughs> lunatic. And I said, "We've been trying to get a hold of you for The Simpsons. We wanted you to do the show." He said, "Oh, I'm definitely going to do the show for sure." And then he walked away. He would never. He never did. It. <laughs> never we did got it. Sting to do that mm-hmm. instead, but uh, he may have done it later. But we got Sting to do it. Sting. Oh, and and also, uh, at one point when you were much younger, you sure. wrote a Bob Newhart script. That you showed to your father. Yes. <laughs> yes. Let's hear he about that. Big he mistake. Did, he did not like it. It was not. I was. <laughs> to be fair, I was how old? Fifteen years old. Sixteen maybe, years old. Maybe younger. I'm not he was sure. working on the Bob Newhart show. He wrote it every day of his life. I wrote a spec script, and I'm sure it was awful. I mean, that's every spec script I read is awful. <laughs> my, so my comment was, Jay, page nine is shit. Yeah. <laughs> no, you, 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 uh, you know, he no, told me, he told me, hey, you know what? You might think about being an agent or a lawyer. <laughs> I really pays. I thought Jay would be a very good agent. I really did. Yeah. Well, I he's thought, being a loving dad. He wanted something yeah. more secure for uh, yeah. you. But uh, to turn the tables, years later, when Jay was on Frasier, I went up to pitch stories to Frasier, to Jay, to my son. Uh, there were some pretty good ones. They turned, well, Jay said, let me talk to the guys. I didn't sell a single one, but I loved Coming in the room, pitching to my son. That was a great feeling for me. (laughs) (laughs) Turnabout. It's fair. It's true. Now, uh, uh, we've had, and my son is now uh, a a musician, 16, and he's very much interested in becoming a musician. And to me, I keep saying, you know, you could be a lawyer or an agent or something. Yeah, same thing. I've got to say. Go ahead, I have that same thing because, like, I have two kids. And now I think about it, and I, I think in terms of, like, I would rather they go through the trash in the street <laughs> and find <laughs> bottles and cans that they could turn it for five cents, because it makes sense to me. Uh-huh. Right. Showbiz yeah. makes no sense. It oh. makes no sense, and, None. you know, the, the amount of time and effort to go and then— and, and put yourself out there and risk everything, and then chances are it's not going to work out. You know, the bottles and can things is a guarantee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he went to Bottle and Can Junior College. Remember sure. I wanted to yeah. say? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I got I, I to gotta say that Jay was, uh, at, and he's heard the story many times, one of the funniest young men ever. When he's 11 years old, I was at a wedding or something, and Jay was at the same wedding. And to be kind of funny, I put a whipped cream mustache on my face, on my lips, and go to v- different tables and say, can I get serious for a moment? There is 11-year-old Jay came up to me with a whipped cream on his face and said to me, what tables haven't you worked? <laughs> That's great. So I knew then something was going on. Which, which leads to the natural question, which you guys have been asked a million times, but we'll ask it again. Jay, the, what's the experience of growing up with a, uh, with a comedy writer for, for a dad like? And at what point did, the, did the, the light go on? You know, hey, I could do this. Uh, well, the experience is... Uh, not what you would think. I mean, my dad was away a lot mm-hmm. and was in in writers' rooms a lot and mm-hmm. were writing in his office with the door closed a lot. It did not look like fun. I it see. looked like really hard work. And the last thing I wanted to become was a writer. I wanted to be an actor. I did stand up comedy. Yeah. I did uh, uh, growlings, improvisation, and all kinds of stuff, all to avoid locking myself in the room and being alone and having to sweat out writing a draft. But Apparently, I was such a shitty actor and such a <laughs> shitty comic, and the, uh, and the only thing I was geared for was writing. So that wound up that wound up being my career. I, I uh, the training though was 
trying to make this guy laugh. Right. My whole life. It's like being growing up in a writer's room trying to make the head writer laugh. So I figured out how to make him laugh. And that translated to make other writers laugh. And so I kind of have uh, that that passed down to me from dad. It's like, you know, if he was a blacksmith, I would then know how to do that. But uh, uh, well, I'm proud of him. He's a. Anything you would have done, I would have been proud of. Well, maybe no. not. Maybe not a dry cleaner, but almost <laughs> anything yeah, you would yeah. have. Those people are scumbags. Of course, and and Arnie, it's like this is getting back to the beginning of this. Yeah, uh, you being like such a successful writer, when you first saw stuff that Jay wrote, <laughs> you were like, it must have really worried you. Uh, it didn't worry me. I was, yeah. I guess I was critical. And then, uh, you know, pretty soon I was incredibly proud of him and, you know, the Shandling and then all the success. And once I was at a studio at 20th and he was coming back from a writer's room after re- rewrites or uh, pre-production and I see him walking back with Jim Brooks and all those writers and I said, Jesus, my kid Jay is, is, is a writer. And I was thrilled. Wow. I really was thrilled when that happened. We wrote stuff together we did a uh, Mad Magazine takeoff on the Golden Girls, and we called it the very funny title, The Olden Girls, ladies and <laughs> gentlemen. <laughs> right. right. We also tried pitching, uh, getting some pilot ideas together. Yeah. I remember did, uh, doing uh, things. And when I do shows and have pilots, my dad always does a punch-up or a rewrite, and he'll, he comes, and he's very That's funny. fantastic. And we did a uh, roast for my mother. Jay's Nana Pauline, my mom, was about 73 years old, and we surprised her with a comedy roast. The whole family flew to Massachusetts, and we did a monologue. We did props. We did a Karnak. We did – she's an easy target. She was very small, and she was a horrible cook. Great lady, but a terrible cook. So we had like a lot of material. Four, hours of, four hours of stuff to do for mm-hmm. Nana Pauline. It was great. We haven't found another way to reuse that material. I'll be <laughs> We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by the Disney Bundle. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new exciting movies and series, all for one low price. On Disney Plus, join the ranks of Captain Marvel, Captain Monica Rambeau, and Ms. Marvel as they team up to save the universe in Marvel Studios' The Marvels and embark on an adventure into the futuristic world of Iwaju. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone, in the award-winning film Poor Things. And school is back in session for the beloved teachers of Abbott Elementary. The Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. They're better together. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Since you bring up pilots, and, yes. and I've seen interviews with you, and you talk about the heart the heartbreak of trying to get pilots and the, the going and the time that of your the, the part of your life that you invest into it. Do I have this memory? We met twenty years ago, and you're on your uh, in on the lot on the Fox lot when you and Wally were were on the Simpsons, and you guys were working on a on a pilot about called Monkey Jungle. Did I dream monkey, this? Monkey World. Monkey no, World. It was a Monkey World. Yes. <laughs> okay. okay. And it was a great pilot, and it almost got made, except for uh, the uh, uh, the head of Fox. It got bought by Fox. Uh, the guy running Fox at the time was named Sandy Grushow, and Sandy was uh, notoriously not a great executive. 
and he bought it and just couldn't figure out. It's a very weird show, very funny. I, I thought very funny idea about a, a millionaire like Trump uh-huh. who loses everything except one asset, which is a shitty amusement park in the middle of Orlando called Monkey World. So he has to rebuild <laughs> his empire from, <laughs> from Monkey World. Uh, and he uh, and and it was everyone. It was like a bidding war for the pilot. It was Fox got it, but then Sandy wanted us to get like Robin Williams to star in it. Robin Williams at the time wasn't doing TV anymore. He was way in the like. He kept saying, "You can get, if you get me three movie stars, we'll make it." I was like, "Well, you bought it, and a good actor can play it, and we can make that person a star if you just let him be in the show." But <laughs> of course, he wouldn't. He wouldn't make it. So he wound up killing the show based on that. But we know Sandy. We like Sandy Grusha now. We see him. I, I always like. I grew up kind of with Sandy Grusha. I liked him as a person, still uh-huh. do. But I don't think he was a great exec. He admits to me actually now that he was not a great executive. That those days were not his best. And days. I admit I'm not a great father. So we get yeah, you know, <laughs> great father. Grusha, no, I'm kidding. Yeah. I, think, okay. I like to kid. Jay. No, I, I will like not take, accept a joke about that. <laughs> okay. I think that was '92 when we met in uh, yes. at the Simpsons and Monkey. I didn't get to remember the name, but Monkey World yeah. stayed with me all these years. Yeah, I think it's great. And here's here's another thing I always wondered about. Whenever I would see those bits with uh, Tim Conway and Harvey Corman, yeah, where Harvey Corman would inevitably crack up, right? I, I were those real? All real. It was not fake news. It was real. Uh, Harvey really could not control himself when, when Tim was around. He tried to, but sometimes he just burst out, and it was real. And Tim would save the stuff for the air show. We did two shows, or a dress on an air. And uh, on the dress show, we'd kind of keep it quiet, and they'd get it on tape, and they'd get it filmed, and they have all the stuff they need. On the air show, he might go a little nuts, and uh, Harvey was uncontrollable. I mean, Tim was a very, very funny guy, very funny guy. So, uh, yeah, that was real. The dental sketch was brilliant. You know, you remember the dentist sketch? Of course, sketch? yes, sure. Yes. It was classic, one of the funniest, funniest things of all time. The Novocaine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. were Tim and Harvey friends in real life? Uh, they were friendly. Yeah, I'm not sure. You know, they'd see each other. They uh, they were friendly. I don't know how often they would mingle socially, but uh, yes, they were. Didn't you write that one that classic sketch, "The World's Oldest Fireman," where, yes. where Harvey's the? Thank you. Yeah. I did. Yeah, that's <laughs> yes, a great yes. one. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, the old man sketch, the old fireman. Um, now let me get this straight. He's a fireman. <laughs> But he's, he's very, very old. Right? So uh, The world's slow. Yes, yeah, very so. slow. I'll get it. I'll help you. I'll right. get mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Oh, hold your horses up. It took him about, at the beginning of the sketch, it took him about a minute and a half to get to break through the window. Harvey yeah. said, I'm a wealthy man. I live in a house. I have paintings. Please send somebody. And you see a, a hand with a little axe at the window. And it would take about... 23 seconds for the axe to hit the window, and then he'd slowly hit the window again. It took about a, a 20 minutes to get into the window. He was just, But he was careful to make every piece of glass in the window. <laughs> slowly chipping away every piece of glass. And the whole sketch, guy. it ended with mouth-to-mouth resusc- resuscitation. So, uh, And that was unscripted. They just wanted to kiss. Uh, the script was regular mouth-to-mouth. Okay. I think he turned Harvey around in the actual <laughs> air show. Okay. So, yeah. It looks like you're going to be all right. You're starting to get some color in your cheeks. Oh, I can't breathe. I'm It's not working. I need oxygen. I need oxygen. Hurry. Mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. 
It's the only way. I hope you'll be gentle when you talk about Somebody we had on the show, was it Ronnie Shell or somebody who was friends with Harvey? Maybe it was Dick By the way, Dyke. why was Ronnie Shell on the show? I'm just curious. It's a curious. good question. Twice. Uh, twice. <laughs> somebody, twice. somebody was Ronnie, here. Shell well, you, was on twice? Yeah. Well, this show is show business history, you know, so we're, 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 we're in for the stories. But somebody, somebody told us Harvey was a bit of a hypochondriac. He may have been. I didn't. I didn't notice that. Yeah. Uh, I, except when I banged his knee once, and he said, "Well, no, okay, that's all right." I was once banned from the Carol Burnett show for asking Harvey Corman an inappropriate question from the audience. <laughs> well, yeah. I said. I said. I said. I used to go to every taping of the Carol Burnett show. We used to go. And it was great. It was an amazing show to watch. I'll they bet. did it. Almost live. I mean, they would do a sketch, there would be a music, and then would change settings, and they would go. It took something like an hour and 20 minutes to film an hour show. It was yeah. just so fast and so good. And there was a dress rehearsal and then a, a regular show, and they both were fabulous. I used to go. And in between, when they were changing sets, sometimes Carol would come out and sometimes Harvey would come out and take questions. And I asked a question, some version of, what's it like to be a second banana? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, and I, I, did, I, I was asking that. Uh, Sincerely. Sincerely, yeah. I didn't think a second banana was an insulting term, <laughs> in, but my parents uh, did think it was an insulting term, yeah. so I had to apologize to Harvey, and I was banned for a year. You also Trump. at one point said to them, uh, I understand the first dress show didn't go that well. You said that. Yes, that, I used to say things like that, too. I was kind of an asshole kid. <laughs> Speaking of watching Dad work, we, we you did a, when you were a kid, when, what were you now, uh, seven or eight or something, when you were on the Dean Martin show? Yeah. I was Five, uh, five, five years old. Five. My, my, my yeah. his sister was seven. Yeah, there was a Christmas show, and all the kids were on the uh, on the on the special Christmas show, like the Deluise boys, uh, and yeah, and yeah. Uh, and uh, I think Dennis Weaver was the yeah Dennis Weaver. Star. Dennis we Weaver. To, we, yeah. It was fabulous. We would go there, and I and I would see people singing and dancing and <laughs> and having fun, and I thought this is work. It <laughs> seemed like such not work. And uh, and and it seems so fun. And I thought, well, this this is I should do something like this, just not what my dad does, which is lock himself in a room, but <laughs> something fun like what they're doing on stage. And uh, and and uh, and I and it is fun, by the way. It turns out it's a really fun thing when it's, you get to do it. It's a great job. The yeah. uh, Dean Martin show. Um, I worked on there one year, and um, the I get to, got to meet Dean Martin once. First day of taping, Greg Garrison, producer, director, brought the four new writers on stage, said, Dean, these are the new writers this year. This is Ed Weinberger. Hello, Ed. This is Treva Silverman. Hello, Treva. This is Stan Daniels. Hello, Stan. This is Arnie Kogan. Hello, Marty. I shook his hands. <laughs> never spoke to him again. Never corrected him. Never spoke to him again in my life. So he had the name You're wrong. in good company. You called him oh, Arnie yes. and Mandino <laughs> called him Marty. Yeah. But yeah. that night, yeah. was it mom? No, no, two, three weeks later, okay. my wife, Sue, 
was at Stefanino's Restaurant on Sunset Boulevard with a, an associate of Steve Lawrence and Edie Gourmet. Her name is Judy. It still is Judy. And she's sitting at a table, and Mort Viner and Dean Martin are three tables away. Mort recognizes Judy Tannen and said, oh, there's Judy Tannen. And who is with her? Oh, one of the writer's wives. Come on over. Sue spent an evening with Dean Martin. I got Hello Marty. Wow. Right. <laughs> Two different lifestyles. Oh, wow. She has a much better lifestyle than I have. And, and Jay, you worked with Tracy Ullman. Yes. And Arna, you worked with Carol Burnett. And you yes. said there's a difference. <laughs> there is. Yeah. Uh, both are very funny. Uh, the difference is Carol, you know, almost like Sid Caesar could not relate really to an audience. Carol could. I'm not sure how well Tracy was at uh, just relating to an audience. But Tracy, Tracy's... Uh, what made Tracy a very interesting and great actress is her ability to mimic and uh, mimic a person. Mm -hmm. I don't think she, she doesn't come from loving a character necessarily. She <laughs> right. comes from the idea of what's funny about that character. What are the flaws of the character and how to exploit it? Uh, Carol is just a lovely woman and she's trying to have fun and she conveys her warmth from yeah. all the characters she did. Even when she was like Miss Hannigan and Annie and the evil villain, she's still great and she yeah. still exudes. She's still lovable. Uh, a but, life force that's worthwhile. Tracy buries herself so deep in the character that you don't necessarily see that same life force. You don't see that same. More than that, Carol, the key to that show, I think, was the Q&A, questions and answers. She got in front of an audience. You'd be warm and fu and funny and friendly. And you, that opening three-minute spot, right. that was the key to the success yeah. of the Burnett show. Conversely, yeah. Tracy Ullman would take questions at the end of her show yes. in a robe and alienate the whole audience. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say that. Them and alienate them. Yeah, so very different. That's the difference. Uh, well, yeah, well, she she was tugging on her ear to Carol as, a, as what, a little sign to her grandmother? Exactly, yes. Yeah, so yeah, there was yeah. so much affection there. Yeah. yeah. As a little she sign to my grandmother. As a little sign to my grandmother, I had eight guys in a helicopter going over my grandmother's house. <laughs> no so, yeah, that's so it's amazing how it ran full cycle. <laughs> Appreciate the callback. <laughs> how about that writer's room at Burnett with uh, Patchett and uh, Tarsus and Gail Parent and Barry Levinson great. and Rudy DeLuca? It, it, and great. It was different years. Patchett and Tarsus were on the first year. I love them and worked with them again on a show we'll talk about later if you want. Sure. And, um, we and then um, we just asked Jay Tarsus to do this show, so hopefully he'll come he's great. up. Oh yeah, yeah. I haven't seen Jay in a while, and um, and then Janet Dick and Janet worked and Parrot. Gene Parrot was very oh, funny. Gene Parrot, great gag writer. And he worked with Bill Richman, who was the drummer for Jerry Lewis and wrote screenplays for Jerry Lewis. And then um, Barry Levinson and Rudy DeLuca, uh, and it was great staff, and it was a great place to work. First of all, the Burnett show is like being hired by the New York Yankees. I was a Dodger fan, but it's like going to the Yankees. It was terrific. And uh, we get out 6, 6.30, and I don't re ever remember. I, there may have been a rewrite. I don't remember. If there was, I do not remember a rewrite in four years. So a beautiful place to work. Uh, story was, true story, I was driving back from CBS Television City to Encino, took Laurel Canyon along the way, stopped by a cop. He said, excuse me license and registration. What was the problem? You're going a little fast, 35 miles zone. You're going 40. Uh, where are you coming? I said, I'm coming from work. Where do you work? Carol Burnett show. And as he's writing a ticket, he said, ought to be a lot of fun this year with Tim being a regular and all. <laughs> 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 he kept, I got the ticket, but he knew all about the show. How's Lyle doing? Okay. I still got the ticket, right. but he knew the show. That's LA for you. Yeah.
Jay, Jay, what was your stand-up like since you brought up your uh, the, your, your my attempting your my stand-up was uh, was wasn't wasn't horrible. It's just I didn't have I was in, I was a comic in search of a persona. Okay, like you have to have a persona to to ultimately succeed. Uh, Gilbert, you've got a persona. <laughs> he does. Very clear, wonderful persona. Uh, uh, my like my first attempts at stand-up were just. M, uh, plain jokes, just jokes. Another version of it was trying to be like weird, like Andy Kaufman's kind of. I, I brush my teeth to La Bamba. I just put on the record La Bamba and brush my teeth to it. So it's a little performance and, uh, art in there. Yeah, I was trying to be funny. I thought it was funny, but it, I'm not sure it was. And my best version of it was putting on a tuxedo and doing jokes as if I was 65 about kids today. I was 15 years old in a tuxedo, and I, would do, and I would rail against how I did not understand what's that. That's not music. That's just noise. You know that kind of stuff. And, and uh, so that was a character I could do, and I got laughs, but I couldn't sustain it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so uh, I also hated performing in comedy clubs because a lot of people are there on dates, and they're not there to see a show. They're there to sort of get drunk and and giggle and have fun. Uh, I, I went over to the Groundlings, a, a theater, and when people go to a theater, they're actually more apt to have a show. There are no hecklers right. at the Groundlings. There are hecklers at the improv. So I, I found that just a much more a better environment for a 16-year-old uh, kid. No cigarettes, no booze, just like, people performing. I was a heckle Jay at home. I yes. heckle him a lot at home. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. and, and when you first got The Simpsons, I heard, uh, both your father and other people— Yes. Or, yeah. Well, how were they Grant, reacting? They 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 said wise Grant Tinker, one of the great show business yeah. uh, wise men. Sure. I was in a meeting with Grant Tinker who said, "Do not do a cartoon. <laughs> don't do don't. You will destroy your career." <laughs> um, and uh, and and I said to my dad, I said, I'm, "I'm being offered this cartoon," and he said, "You just got into live action into a, the Tracy Ullman show. You're winning awards. Why would you?" ruin yourself yeah. by going into this cartoon, which is completely understandable. No, nobody had it's ever reasonable. succeeded with a cartoon at all. It was sage advice from my father. However, my partner Wally and I thought, well, it's 13 episodes. It'll be fun. It's for Fox. Who knows what will happen? And it just seems really good. Sam Simon and Matt Groening are really funny. It'll be interesting. So no, he couldn't have known what we knew at the time, which was, you know the auspices of the of the of what they're trying to do is different, so maybe it'll work. It worked. It, it seemed to work. Yeah, how did yeah. that work out? It worked, it worked out, out okay. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> I left after five years, thinking, "How much longer could this go on?" I was wrong. <laughs> Twenty five <laughs> years later. Yeah. Exactly. Al and Gene, have, uh, Al Gene and Mike Reese have stuck it out from the what? They've been there from year one. Well, mainly Al. Al's wow. there day to day. Mike comes in. He, Mike is a consultant. Mike okay. lives in New York. Right, Mike's and he comes here. In, he, and he consults and he goes in. But Al is the day-to-day top guy at The Simpsons. And, yes, he's been doing it day in and day out for a really long time. Mike, too, you know, week yeah. to week and, and consultant. Uh, it's not easy to be a consultant either. But Al seems to have uh, shouldered the burden with uh, Matt Selman to try and keep the show alive. And I must say, a lot of people, you know, uh, like you, Frank, you're very kind about some episodes we wrote. But oh, yes. I, watched, I watched the show now, and I think it's just as funny as it was then. Um, and I don't think it's lost a step. I think people have gotten used to it. I think it's sort of like yeah. a great a great restaurant. You know, there's a restaurant here in L.A. called the Ivy. It's brilliant. It's wonderful food. Every time you go, you go, oh my god, how great it is! But you're used to it. It's there. It exists, and it's been there forever. 
new restaurants come along and people get excited about it. But The Simpsons is a great restaurant that serves a really great meal every time. And I don't know that uh, the fans appreciate it. They, 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 they live in a nostalgia for their childhoods about how exciting it was when it first came on. And now a question for both of you. It's like, other than funny and not funny, uh, when you're writing, are there any kind of rules where, no, I would never go in that direction or I would never try that? In oh, comedy? sure. Yeah. I, He's got more rules than I do. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I never think about the rules. I just write what I, seems natural and stuff. Well, that's the rule. Yeah. Does it seem like a character would say this? Would it, would it? Are you writing a joke that's maybe funny but ruins the character or ruins the reality or hurts mm. The, the show or hurts the it's not grounded are you writing something that is so alienating that it's going to take the audience out of it are you writing something that you know there's beyond funny it's about uh uh heart it's about what are you trying to say it's all the other stuff about writing that's the same for drama as it is for uh -huh. comedy what's if you can get emotion into a comedy half hour script or 25 minute script that's all the best, all the better if you can get some emotion and some you, feeling. You need to. Yeah. I think you need to be, in, in order to be uh, carried away by the story and invested in the story, there needs to be some some emotion, no matter what it is. I have no emotion in my life, so I can't translate that into a script. <laughs> That's true. So, you know, when it happens, it's a lucky break for me. He has yeah. a, a good computer approximation of emotion that he <laughs> yeah. uses. Well, I've heard you talk but, about, too, how, how freeing The Simpsons was because you're writing a half hour. You know, they're going to build one set. You're allowed three actors. And in animation, yeah, I mean, you really could, you know, go anywhere you want to go. Right. Budget is not a consideration in an animated show. So you can write, I always say you can write in, in, interior volcano day <laughs> and actually go inside a volcano. They'll build it for one line. You know, they'll do write, you know, there's no way on a real show will they build an interior volcano set for one line. But you can do it in a in a, and they won't even do it for a movie. Uh, but they can do it in an animated the show. The Czechoslovakian army comes over a hill. You're not right. going to get that in a three camera. And that's and, and kind of The Simpsons was freeing in that you could do all that. And the goal of it at the time was trying to stay somehow emotionally grounded or at least emotionally uh, invested. So Homer, while being an idiot, still somehow cares about his kids. His wife, although married to an idiot, still somehow <laughs> mm -hmm. ma managed to care about him. And they're in, they want their children to succeed. Even when Homer's selfish, he realizes he owes his children some measure of happiness. Those things, which are thrown out on other shows, were kept on The Simpsons. And I think, I, actually, I think that made The Simpsons better, although maybe now it makes them old hat. But I, th I actually think it makes them better. I don't think so. I think that's the thing you return to 30 years later is the, is the core, yeah. is the relationships. Yeah. I think that, I, the characters to care for each other. I don't think it's as prevalent on a show like Family Guy or other shows that, that also try to do the same thing. Right. But they, they don't worry about being as grounded, uh, especially with their cutaways to do anything. There's no re sense of reality. Um, and, and that's good for them and very successful for them. And it's a very funny show. But it's just different for, uh, for what we were trying to do with The Simpsons. And some of the characters, like Kang and Kodos, that, that you, you are the father of. I am the father of Kang and Kodos. Yes. I love those aliens. Treehouse of Horror. My favorite thing, one of the favorite experiences I ever got to do was draw a character of The Simpsons. And I drew Kang and Kodos. Oh, that's Kodos, cruel. Um, because they couldn't understand the stage direction. The stage direction said, it's an octopus with fangs, and he has a trail of slime, and he's in an old-fashioned sea diver's helmet. And the artist came to me and like, said, we don't understand what you're talking about. And so, it, uh, so I drew, 
you know, an octopus with one eye and fangs and a sea diver's helmet and like a bad trail of slime. And that's pretty close to what they did. You know, uh, there's they, two they, aliens on yeah, this show and, and Harry yeah. does one of the voices. And, and yeah. you, maybe he does both. I don't know. You, didn't you base that on a Twilight Zone episode? Yes. Yes, there was a Twilight Zone episode, absolutely, and we were parodying that for uh, for our our our, uh, our, our treehouse of horror. I thought I thought it was based on the life of Don DeFore. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I don't know. I could I could be off here. Uh, Don sure. Are there any Are there any listeners alive who remember <laughs> Don DeFore? Yeah. Yeah. Only on this show. <laughs> okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, oh, Harry, they appreciate a Harry Von Zell reference too. I, I was about to say Harry Von Zell, but then I thought I thought nobody's going to know him either. So Don DeFore and Harry Von Zell walk into a bar. <laughs> That's they, what we're here for. Here there was that Twilight Zone episode where there's lights in the sky or whatever, and uh, the whole neighborhood turns on each other. Yes, they get oh, wow. paranoid. They all are fighting each other. And and at the end, you see these two aliens going. It will be easy. Look how they react to each wow, other. Right. I missed that one. <laughs> they could destroy <laughs> the world. That, that was their plot on how to take over the world. Wow. And and they're all being paranoid and afraid something bad is happening. And they convince themselves nothing bad is happening. But in the end, aha, something bad was happening. What a great series that was. Yes, better than Two Broke Girls. <laughs> yeah. I think. How dare you, sir? I think. I, think. I, I found both equally chilling. <laughs> Jay, Jay, just a, a question about the voice actors on the show, because you and Wally wrote, uh, was it like, like Father Like Clown with Jackie Mason? He wrote, yes. Yeah. And yes, how, was, was how was, uh, then I want to ask you another question about a, a, an infamous, uh, I think you'll know where I'm going, a, a, a guest voice that you wound up not getting on the show. You know what I'm referring okay. to? I don't, but I will in a second. What, what, what do you want to know about uh, Jackie? How was Jackie to, to deal great. with, to work with? Well, I had met Jackie Mason years before. He he had been doing his uh, one-man sh- Before he was doing that one-man show that got him a lot of acclaim. Oh, yeah. I had uh, seen him perform at Dangerfields. I was a comedy nerd when I was 10 years old and, and, and 12. And my mom took me to Dangerfields to see him. And we went backstage to go see Jackie Mason. I, I, I don't know how we got backstage or who we knew, but I wanted to meet him. And he answered the door in his underwear. Like, he doesn't want to hurt his pants. And he, you, you take your pants off between shows of because course. you don't want to get them creased or whatever. Old school showbiz. Yeah, old school showbiz. And he was the most nicest guy and very sweet to me. And I never forgot... Him and Bob Hope and other people who were really nice to an idiot little boy, Jake Hogan. Yeah, Bob Hope. Yeah, uh, But then years later, I, we flew to New York to get his voice because we, we wrote this Father Like Clown and we needed a voice of a rabbi. And that, that that at that point, Jackie had been doing his one-man show and been pretty famous for being a mm-hmm. super Jew. Not just a Jew, but a super <laughs> Jew. And he was great. He was fabulous. But he would not, A, he didn't remember many of the lines, and B, to ask him for a different read was a stupid question. Like, can you do it differently? No. What do you mean, can I do it differently? It's only one time I do it. I said it this way. So he only does the, his Jackie Mason reading, and there's no, you know, more emotional. I was very emotional. This is not emotional. Uh, that's all. He just does one voice. It's his voice, but it's one voice. It's very recognizable. Oh, Rabbi. Did not a great man say, and I quote, the Jews are a swinging bunch of people. I mean, I've heard of persecution, but what they went through is ridiculous. But the great thing is, after thousands of years of waiting and holding on and fighting, 
We finally made it. End quote. Oh, I never heard the plight of my people face so elegantly. Who said that, Rabbi Hillel? Nope. It was Judy the Pious. Nope. My Amanides. Nope. Oh, I got it. The Dead Sea Scrolls. I'm afraid not, Rabbi. It's from Yes, I Can by Sammy Davis Jr. An entertainer. Like your son. <gasps> the Candyman? If a performer could think that way, maybe I'm completely upside down on this whole problem. Oh. Give Jay a little bit of your Jackie. Let's just treat the, treat the boys uh, to the... I, well, I just remember my wife running into... Well, we were walking in in Florida or something, and my wife ran into him, and she said, uh, Oh, I'm, I'm married to Gilbert Gottfried. And Jackie Mason goes, I don't like that Gilbert Gottfried. He <laughs> loves me. <laughs> that Gottfried loust me. <laughs> and I, and wow. I still don't understand don't know how, what does that how mean? I loust him. No, you loust him. I for take him take his word for it. <laughs> I don't know what that means. But he was he was a really great we had to fly to New York to get him, which was another great privilege. Just a fun to go get sure. interviews with people and, and uh, uh but he was terrific. He was terrific. I would work with him anytime. Was there an attempt to get O. J. Simpson? Back before the, is that, is, that, wow. is that bullshit? I don't. Not while I was there. Okay. okay. For, and for what role? For some role, I got bad information. I mean, it's the show's been on for thirty yeah, years. I was before, only there for five. So only before the incident, obviously, it's possible. Yeah. It's, he's better as a guest after the incident. <laughs> there are better jokes <laughs> once he's a, once he's a murderer. It's actually better. <laughs> And if you do ask him, you'll have to ask him very nicely. <laughs> yes. yes. No, we didn't, uh, we didn't. We had other sports figures. We had a lot of baseball players on. We eventually had some of the Beatles on. We oh, had, yeah. uh, uh, you know, a the million The B Sharps guests. episode with Michael George Jackson. Harrison. Michael Jackson was on uncredited. Really? Right. Yes. Right, right, right. And another uh, uncredited Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman didn't. I recorded credit. Dustin's performance for that show. I went to a trailer that he was doing a movie, and with a with an engineer and a tape recorder, we recorded a, uh, uh, a maybe two, uh, lines, post production lines with. And he was great, and he was very insecure. Like, was that you know, was that good? Am I good? Was that fine? Like, no, you're Dustin Hoffman. It's all good. It's all great. It was the opposite of Jackie Mason. Yes. Yeah. He yes. took a screen credit, Sam Etic. Sam Etic. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, that was the time when I think people were afraid of being identified on this dumb cartoon show. It became before it became a giant hit. And the same thing with Michael Jackson. He was uncredited. Uh, and I remember one line in that episode where he gives her a very sentimental goodbye that he's yeah. leaving. And and Lisa and he goes, You do believe me, Lisa, don't you? And she goes, Yes, I believe your voice, your eyes, your Semitic good looks. <laughs> yeah, that's a sweet yeah, episode. He, it is a sweet episode. He gives, Destin often gives, uh, the teacher gives Lisa a note, which is supposed to be the answer to everything. And it says, it says, you are Lisa you Simpson. You are Lisa Simpson, yes. Uh, and, and that is very, Jim Brooks, James L. Brooks, who is one of my heroes, uh, no one else can write something like Jim. Jim can tread on something that could be hokey, but make it new and fresh and unhokey. And he could he 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 makes sure to make it interesting, but but uh, emotionally viable and real. He's one of the greatest writers, of course, I've, I've ever met. Uh, you know, and and he's a gigantic hero of mine, well, along with my father. Ah, uh, that's an example uh, of the depth of the show because obviously the show was funny, but here you are, and with the Hoffman episode, what maybe eight, nine, ten episodes in, 
and you have a moment like that and you realize, and I remember watching it and I remember this is, this is going to be something different. This is, this is special. Yeah. And but you can it also imagine on, it works on another level. A room full of, of, uh, of cynical writers in their twenties who all heard Jim Brooks say that go, Oh God, this is going to be horrible. <laughs> and then it comes out and he's, Oh my God, it's beautiful. Yeah. So you, you don't know anything when you're uh, 22 and just looking to make people laugh. Just when the show is starting to get good, we're going to throw a monkey wrench into the works with this commercial word. Live from Nutmeg Post, we now return to Gilbert and Frank's amazing colossal podcast. Now, here's a segue. You guys ready for this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because we were talking about Kang and Kodos in space. Yes. And I'm going to go from there to NASA, and we're going to ask Arnie about the Soupy Sales movie. Oh, wow. Oh, oh boy. Birds he do gave it. The, yes. He gave, he gave the whole plot away, Frank. The whole, <laughs> <laughs> there he goes. Well, hey, everyone in the world seen that movie, Dad. Don't worry about it. <laughs> We've seen it. It's like Star Wars. Those festivals going on. Yeah. Uh, it was an, It's amazing. I had no idea I got that gear. I had the dad job. I was... Writing for about two years, I was doing the Les Crane show, doing some talk shows, and Ivan Tor is the producer, and Marty Ingalls was on the Les Crane show, and somehow he recommended me Marty to Ivan Tor's wow. to, to write a movie, and it was either Ingalls or Jerry Lewis or Soupy Sales were going to star in this movie, and they hired me, and I didn't never show them a script, I never wrote a script, I had never written a, a feature movie at all. And there I was down in, uh, in Florida at Arvin's Torah Studios rewriting a script called Birds Do It. Uh, Art Arthur wrote the original screenplay, and I was kind of punching it up. And I had no idea what I was doing. And you could tell from the movie when you see it <laughs> that it looks that way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I will give. I will say the movie's in color. That's the only positive thing about it. Arthur O'Connell shows up. Yes, and t- Tab, Tab Hunter was and in Tab the film. And Tab Hunter. Tab was quoted as saying, this is the worst film I've ever been in in my life. So, um, and he was in Operation Bikini with Jim Backus. So, but it, I think he's right. He was right. So I had no idea what I was doing. And I, we thought it would be like a, uh, a Hard Day's Night, the Beatles film. We thought it would be a hip, trendy, and the director was not a comedy director. He was a, a director of flounders and, and sea, sea animals. He did Flipper and... Um, so it didn't quite work out, and Doc you know, Tari, all those Ivan Tor Doc, shows. Yeah, yeah, the chimp so, is uh, in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, what's uh, Ju- Judy the chimp? Who Judy was in Doc chimp. Tari it's, turns it's, up in the exactly. movie. Exactly. Oh, is that the same chimp from Doc chimp. Tari? Yeah, I did not know that. <laughs> so you, you got a. You have a whole new perspective. Well, Jay. It's, she's on the poster. I yeah. should have been able to tell. I, yeah. think, Jay, yeah. I know Jay shares our fondness for monkeys. Uh, I do. I love monkeys, monkey pilot. But I got a, I got a screen credit when I was young in my career, so uh, you know I'll take it. I think. Yeah. No, I've had I've had monkeys in many many shows. I do love monkeys. It's true. And in last ex- in last exit to Springfield, I'm going to go back to that. There's that wonderful gag where Burns goes into the into the lock room, and what is it? There's a thousand chimpanzees typing, a thousand monkeys typing monkeys. on a thousand typewriters. Right. <laughs> right. Yes, he wanted to see if they would write Shakespeare. They, they come really close. They come really close. <laughs> Arnie, Arnie, I think Gilbert's fascinated by this. T- talk about writing for some of the stand-ups early on. I mean, you wrote uh, from, what, Morty Gunty? and Morty was the first comic I ever wrote for, uh, right around the time I started writing for Mad Magazine. 
I wrote for McGunty and I wrote for uh, Toady Fields. And, wow. Um, I wrote for Jackie Vernon, who was very smart. You remember sure. Jackie Vernon? And, um, Don Adams? Huh? Don, Don I wrote, I started, when I first started writing, I wanted to write for Don Adams. He okay. never bought it. I wrote something. He used to write those things with Bill Daner, the uh, baseball umpire and the mm-hmm. football guy, which were brilliant. And I tried to duplicate that. I didn't sell anything at that point. I did write a thing about a school teacher in the same voice and did that routine at a New Year's Eve party once. And a girl, pretty girl in red dress, laughed very loud at it. Ended up marrying her. That's Jay's mom, Sue. So, oh, um, that's a lovely she, story. Yeah, she reacted well to the act. and uh, So I'm here because of a, a bit you couldn't sell? That's <laughs> 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 Whatever it takes. I could have been flying over the house with <laughs> sure. a bit in a helicopter. Just a, you you wrote Phyllis Diller some books with Phyllis I wrote Diller, but a did you book write for her Phil, act? I wrote a book for Phyllis Diller, a book for Toadie, and um, wow. I'm trying to think of the others. I wrote a lot of stand-ups for uh, singers that were not very funny. Oh, banter. Uh, banter, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Jackie DeShannon and uh, Nino Tempo and April Stevens. Jackie um, DeShannon, put a little love in your heart. That's right, yeah. yes. Very and, good. And... Uh, and other singers, Stephen Edia wrote for for many years, Steve Lawrence, and he's, Steve is funny. Steve Lawrence and Edia yeah. for me. So, uh, you know, a lot of stand-ups and a lot of singers. Diana Ross, who I never met, I wrote some material for her also. And Sammy? Sammy, I wrote for, uh, there were two Academy Award shows that I wrote, kind of. One was for Carol Burnett. She was one of four hosts on uh, some Academy Award. And Sammy was also one of four hosts on Academy he was a, a host along with um, Alan King and Helen Hayes. And my goal was to make him funnier than Helen Hayes. <laughs> <laughs> the line I wrote for him that was kind of quoted was, um, he said, this year they're honoring two films. They're featuring two films honoring my people, Shaft and Fiddler on the Roof. Perfect. That's a good one. Good joke. Oh, that, was, mm-hmm. that was the zombie stuff. Now, I heard a story that Bob Newhart was one time watching TV and Don Adams did one of Newhart's bits word for word. Wow. 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 I never heard of that. I believe that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't they, but they work so different. They're not, you know, not the same rhythm. You yeah. Know? Interesting. You know, comedian that needs material needs material. <laughs> And uh, didn't Bill can, Dana write the whole Byron Glick thing for for? He wrote uh, all those. He wrote all those. I think he, 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 he Maxwell Smart. Yeah, he, he and Don Adams wrote those comedy pieces. The lawyer, the you know, you know, uh, baseball umpire. Uh, are those the legs of a homicidal maniac? I think Dana wrote a lot of those. Yeah, Dana ended up working on a show. I was a head writer and producer for Donnie Marie show. So he was oh, one of the writers. Oh yes, you got to talk about that too. Yeah. So uh, another writer that I was going to hire, there was a guy, I said, we need one more monologue writer. I met a guy from the Midwest. He came out in his truck. I said, I like the material. Do you think you could write for Donnie Marie? He said, I can. It was David Letterman. Letterman, and I went back, I said, I want to hire this guy. It turns out we did not have enough money. So Letterman never wrote the Donnie Marie show. Wow. Good for him. And uh, But we were about to hire him. But you write. wound up uh, working with him anyway on that uh, on the Mary, Mary Tyler Moore. Mary Tyler Moore had a variety oh, yes. show. Remember that show? Sure. Called with, Mary. Yeah. With Patchett and Tarsus were the, the, running the show. And Letterman and Michael Keaton. and Swoozy um, Kurtz. Swoozy Kurtz and Dick Sean and right. Mary Tyler Moore. So Dick, Mary may have been the least... Um, talented of the bunch, uh, but the show we thought would be brilliant and run for 23 years 
We shot 13 shows, only three aired, and they canceled it. It didn't quite work out. They wanted to see Mary doing Mary Richards. Um, we had her singing Dead Skunk in the Middle of the Road. We had stuff that was <laughs> Mary, Mary inappropriate. Mary covers Loudon Wainwright. Yeah. We had uh, six guys in shirts and ties. We had the Ed Asner dancers doing a disco dance. Right. So it was a lot of stuff that she was not comfortable with, and the show went off pretty quickly. Yeah. That's too bad. Yeah. She was also famous for not being so nice. Uh, could be a little, uh, yeah, that character in that movie uh, with... Ordinary with People. Ordinary was, People yeah. was oh, not quite that, but almost, she could be like that a little oh bit. Oh, my yeah. God, it's so funny you say that, because when I saw Ordinary People, yeah. I remember watching her going, you know, I don't, I never met her, but... She seems a little too good at playing this character. <laughs> Interesting. Well, Anth uh, Anthony Hopkins also eats people. So. Really? <laughs> Between the two of them, yeah, sure. The uh, the line was um, Mary Tyler Moore had um, diabetes, I think, and she went to the doctor and she went for a checkup, and the doctor said, you know, she said, how am I? How am I doing? He said, you're doing fine. You can, you know, you can play tennis, you can exercise, you can dance, you can do anything you can. You can do everything. Except variety. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. That <laughs> oh. Gilbert, I was at a poker game Monday, and some people were quoting a joke of yours. There's other, other jokes, but who, uh, Bill Prady, who runs, uh, uh, who helped create Big Bang Theory, did an imitation of you doing a joke about an alien spaceship coming over head. Oh. That's getting a car. Oh, it's a long Pulling bit. the car up. It's a long joke. Yep. I don't want to ruin it because <laughs> I'm not Bill Prady. I can't tell, but it was brilliant. If you want to, I, do you, you do can you, do it, but do I you can't. want to do the bit? He's setting you up for this. Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> now, Remember it? Talk, talk I, about. I, I'll do it. So, so the alien, the car, the, he sees lights in the sky. Suddenly the part, the clouds clear and. Uh, a, a big magnet starts shaking the car. The car is swooped up into this thing. It's clearly, it's an alien spaceship. He goes into the alien spaceship. These strange creatures come surround the car. They roll down the window through, you know, a telekinesis. And suddenly they say, Ben is a good actor. Why doesn't he work more? <laughs> is that it, Gil? The That's yeah. it. That's it. The poker room laughed a lot. <laughs> so we insane. owe you some money. Huh. Yeah, that's the bit. That's a okay. long way around the bend to get to a Ben, but, a ben Gazzara yes. joke. Ben, ben Gazzara in Roadhouse was, <laughs> <it> was great. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember somebody told me they met Ben Gazzara. I never met him. And he was there with the smoking a cigar, you know, and, and he goes... Uh, Hey, do you know Gilbert Godfrey? He goes, oh, the one with the eyes. Yeah, yeah. And and he tells him that bit. And he says, Ben Gazzara starts pounding the table <laughs> and punching him in the shoulder and goes, that's funny. <laughs> he, did, he did not feel that you loused him. No. He did not louse him Yeah, no, Ben Gazzara yeah. said, he loused me. <laughs> I don't know. I, he comes to me. Right. He loves he loves me. me. Do a do a little. Since Jackie Vernon came up, I love to put you on the spot on the oh, show. Oh yes. Treat treat uh, treat the the gentleman to a little bit of. Okay. It'll bring back flashbacks for Arnie. 
Here's some slides for my <laughs> vacation. <laughs> Here I am with Manuel, the tour guide. <laughs> Here's Manuel leading us around the quicksand. <laughs> Here we are from the waist up. <laughs> Here's a bunch of hats and ropes. <laughs> he was a very funny guy. He, uh, the line I liked best of his was he said he, you know, he's a dull guy. That was his persona. Uh, he said he was once arrested at Times Square New Year's Eve for loitering. Yeah, that's a good joke. <laughs> I, funny. I, I, somebody told me who was friends with Jackie Vernon, and he also had a thing where he would go into a supermarket or a department store, wherever a woman would be by herself. And, you know, he had that big pot belly. So he'd walk up, act like he's looking at stuff, and then he'd suck his belly in so his pants would fall down. Yeah. And how is. <laughs> His big thing of going up to women. Classy. Yes. Me too. It's a me too now. And he can't do that. In his line, he, uh, in his act, he does a pickup line saying uh, at the beach, he said, excuse me, I seem to have lost my Congressional Medal of Honor around here someplace. <laughs> a pickup line for him. My introduction to Jackie Vernon was there was a character on the cartoon Underdog that was basically Jackie Vernon. Really? One of... Yeah, one of the villains of Underdog was Jackie Vernon, and I, and I didn't realize who wow. it was because I was five. But then I was going through my dad's comedy record collection, and I pulled it out, and I hear the voice is the same. So yeah. some cartoon actor was doing Jackie Vernon, and they drew it the the, the villain to look like Jackie Vernon. That's hilarious. But he's he's uh, one, as, uh, in the way that. Um, a lot of the Hanna Barbera characters were named after. You know, oh, we've talked like, about that. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. How they would they would be doing uh, Art Carney, Dean Martin, or Art Carney, or other people. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Luckleberry Hound it, doing Andy Griffith. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, all of them used to be well, like uh, yeah, yeah. Yogi Bear was uh, Yogi Bear was Art Carney. Right, right, right. And and on the Dick Tracy cartoon. Like, they would have, like, one who sounded like James Cagney or sure. Edward G. Robinson. <laughs> right. well, well, Simon Bar Sinister on Underdog was Lionel Barrymore. Okay. Basically, exactly right. if you yeah. go back and you listen to it. Very mm -hmm. popular one, Lionel Barrymore in the cartoons. Also, to imitate Ed Wynn in the cartoons. <laughs> yeah. yeah, great voices. Now, Jay, we were both in the aristocrats. We were. We were. I, I, you were better than me. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You know a fan wrote in Jay. He set you up, but the, uh, we we take uh, questions sometimes from our listeners. And a, a fan named Bobby Mago or Maggio wrote, "I need to ask Jay who did his favorite version of the Aristocrats." Oh, so now, good now you're really on the spot. You know, I would say me, <laughs> me. I, I did my favorite version. Of the <laughs> you're asking somebody what, whatever. You get to do your own version. You get to, that's the whole point of the joke is you get to do exactly the version you want to do. I do the version I want to do. Yeah, for me. You call them the sophisticates, I think, right? Yeah. Well, that's the other. That's another variation it of it. Sure, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. You guys had never met. You never. You, you and Jay have never crossed paths. I don't think I, so. Interesting. I, I have met Gilbert, but he wouldn't remember meeting me. I'm well, join the, the club. Famous celebrity. Gilbert, do you remember meeting me about 35 years ago? Oh, my God, no. Thick of the night. Oh, my God. That was, was one of 18 writers in the room there. Like, Try to burn that out of your memory. 
Why would he try to? Why would he remember that? Oh, oh, oh fuck! That, was on the I, on the script. I, 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 I tried to block out. Mate, so, same here. Same here. Same. Toughest show I've ever done in my life. I've well, done like but, a zillion shows. Toughest, toughest gig I've ever had ever. But since you mentioned Thick of the Night, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the theme song was yes. written and performed by, by Alan, Alan Thick. Yes. And it went as follows. I was talking about that an, an hour ago in the car coming in with Jay. I said, I want to get a recording, uh, like all the theme songs of shows I've worked on, the Jackson 5, the Donnie Marie, uh, Newhart, and Think of the Night. I want to get all these things. And put I'm going to handle one. that yeah. for him. I, yeah. I got oh, it. I got it. That's a birthday mix. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right there. Well, on the Donnie and Marie, you were working with, maybe not with, but, but Sid and Marty Croft. Sid and Marty uh, preceded me. Oh, okay. I came... I came in. Oh, I know they were there the first year. Yeah. Sitting, and then I came in myself and Ray Jessel, the partner I had at the time, were brought in. Mike Ovitz was our agent. He just got us on the show. You guys are going to be head writers. I said, really? How did they have head writers? Well, you're going to go in. And we were head writers. And I enjoyed it a lot. And uh, Sid and Marty were there. And um, found me. It was very terrific. And I enjoyed doing that show for a year and a half. Did you hire Bruce Valanche for that show? I did. I hired Bruce, yes. Yes. I hired Good Bruce. move. That same. Same year, yeah, very good move. And the same year I hired uh, Bill Dana and some other people. And uh, yeah, Valanche is very interesting and funny guy. Yeah, we're going to have him on in a couple of weeks. Sid and Marty Croft, to this day, have an office at the Radford CBS Studios. They're coming on with us next week. A a small office. Oh, they are, yeah. Yeah. I went into their office one time, and it was like going into Cheech and Chong's van. (laughs) It was like (laughs) the smell of the smoke and the smell of pot was crazy. Uh, so I know what HR Puffin stuff means. I get it now. And yet they deny it. that to this day. Every time they're, right. they're interviewed, they deny that there's any drug connection to any of their their creations. And mm, Okay. Sid, Sid and Marty. <laughs> they would know better than me. <laughs> Sid and Marty. Somebody did an impression of, not impression, they described Sid and Marty. They said, uh, Sid and Marty, they will have a production number, and Sid will say, let's have... 200 dancers in chandeliers and exquisite <laughs> costumes coming down these gold staircases. And Marty would say, not 200, three dancers. He'd be, he'd be, the, money, he'd be the money guy. Right. Sid would be the artistic guy. That was the difference. Now, Sid did all those shows with Liberace and Judy Garland yeah, he did back it. in the yeah. day. Yeah. yeah. But, but like the Dino Marie show, every, for some reason, they always had a... Each year, like they had an ice skating production number, but yeah. like every opening, every opening was ice skating. Always ice skating. Uh, but yeah. what, what the fuck was that about? I <laughs> mean, know, I never like, had... like that's not a production. It's the same thing. I think it's a cost saving measure. We have an ice skating rink to yeah. amortize it. We'll do it over twenty two episodes. My next production meeting note was going to be, "What the fuck is this all about?" I never, <laughs> I never did that. I, I Water. Then they did one with a pool. Yeah, like, it's of, like it made, as a as a child, it annoyed me. <laughs> I thought you could do, you guys could do better. <laughs> the Simpsons did a great send up of of one of those Sid and Marty shows of the Brady Bunch Variety Hour, where they did uh, the, the Simpsons Family Smile Time. Oh hour. yeah, and it's so yes. spot on. It's it's such a brilliant 
It's so easy to make fun of that. I that, know. I, mean, I know. To have a sitcom suddenly become a variety show is not easy and not pleasant. Those poor kids. Arnie, yeah. I don't remember much about the Jackson variety show, but I was doing research on it. And you had yeah. Joey Bishop was on it and Muhammad Ali. Thing, yeah. Well, no. Well, the uh, Ray Jessel and I, again, uh, it was a summer show that we did. We did four episodes, four half-hour episodes. It was a Jackson's without Jermaine. There was a contract thing going on. Jermaine married the daughter of uh, Motown, and only every Jackson except Jermaine did it. And Don, and uh, Janet was around nine. There was another Jackson around nine or ten. Randy. Michael, Randy, uh, Michael was 16. And it was a lot of fun. Jo- the guests were Joey Bishop, um, Ed John, McMahon. John Biner. That was later. They oh, they oh, uh, later. later picked the show up, and as a regular season, I was doing Donnie Marie. That I I, I, see. I couldn't I couldn't do it anymore. But it was fun to do four shows with the uh, with the with the Jackson. They lived in Encino. We lived in Encino. Jay, you remember we we had a party? Yeah, we had like a premiere party at our house where the Jacksons came over. They came over, though, and and it was like us and the Jacksons, and I think not a word was said. Well, no, there was. <laughs> we spoke, and Buzz Cohen came over. He was a, con- a consultant, and at one point in the evening. Uh, Sue's mother, Nana Chickie, was there. So at one point, I see Nana Chickie, Sue's mom, talking to Marlon Jackson. <laughs> what the hell were they talking? I have no I idea. Know. No idea what this seventy-three-year-old lady and Marlon Jackson. I have no I idea. But remember was, them being they were speaking incredibly shy, like Janet Jackson trying to talk to her. Being, she was incredibly yeah, shy. Michael was also. Yeah, Michael was at that time. There yeah. should be a Kogan flowchart too, with all the different people that you guys have worked with, because you both worked uh-huh. with Michael Jackson. That's true, yeah, Michael. Yeah, yeah. Michael uh, but I knew I you know, kind of he grew up in the neighborhood, so I I kind of ran into him a couple different times. I get like like a local pizza place around the market and stuff. Yeah, like. He yeah. was not as you know like he was not quite as sheltered when he was a young guy. Yeah, we got no oxygen tent. We got to ask Ar- Arnie about Mad. Yeah. Uh-huh. Ar- Arnie, uh huh. Arnie, we had Al Jaffe here. Oh, great. On great. the show, maybe about a year ago. Going strong. Yeah. What is he, 95? Yes, yeah, 94, 95. 94. Did he have any yeah. snappy answers for you? <laughs> you bet he did. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, and when I was a kid, I was a credit reader, and I'm watching uh-huh. the Carol Burnett show, and I said, wait, Larry Siegel, Stan uh-huh. Hart, Arnie Kogan, these these are the same oh. guys from that yeah. I'm reading oh. in Mad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we all did the, you know, the Carol Burnett show. Larry was the first guy, not the first Larry preceded me by a couple of years, and I came along, and Jaffe was there also before me. It was great to write for Mad. My first comedy sale ever was Mad Magazine. I had uh, always wanted to write comedy in some form, and I saw Mad. I said, this is great. And um, I wrote some spec Mad stories, and I brought them to Mad, and they uh, Feldstein and Jared DeFuscio at the time said, oh, this is not right for us. <clears throat> if you want to bring them someplace else, you can. I went, and that time they were like 23 in person. There was panic. There was nuts. There was think. There was all kinds of crazy magazines. I brought all the stuff to Panic Magazine. He said, you know, this is good. you have anything more? I said, I can do some more. I gave him 17 story ideas. He said, I want to buy all of them. I said, great. He said, but I cannot pay you until 12 months from now. I said, well, I don't know if I want to do that. He said, well, you can turn around and go back to Mad if you want. Went back to Mad, and I uh, submitted three of the stories Two weeks later, I got a check in the mail from Mad Magazine. One of the biggest thrills of my life ever, 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 aside from this podcast. Of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, the first time I sold a piece to Mad, I got the same thrill. Yeah, it's ex- yeah. very exciting. It was better than, the, better than the honeymoon, isn't it? Right. Yeah, it yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. was. And you still. Re- go ahead, Jay. 
No, I still write for Deferred Payment Magazine. Do you? <laughs> it's not. Yeah, it takes a long time. To get... Do you stay in touch with those guys with with with, Ange- I... with Angelo and Mort's out on Long Island? And well, Mort, I speak to once in a while. Um, Larry Siegel is uh, was he's in his nineties now. I saw him at a rehab center about six months ago. Frank Physical Jacob. rehab, not drug rehab. Just to make it clear. <laughs> uh, I see Sergio every once in a while. Yep, Sergio, so he's the best. My God, he's the he, the, is, he great. is the genius to me. He's the genius of Mad Magazine. He is a genius, not, notwithstanding my father. Yes, but I mean, just as growing up reading every episode of Mad, those what's happening in the margins or when he seemed to me to be the funniest thing. The, in the drawn magazine. out dramas. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think Frank and Jacobs is a genius. I think Jacobs is I think absolutely. I think He's great. Your, your dad is a genius. Jaffe, I agree. certainly. Jacobs yeah. is brilliant. Uh, Jaffe, a funny thing, I left Costco about a year ago uh, carrying a pizza. And a guy said to me, What'd you, did you just buy a pizza? And I said, my snappy answer was, Yes. <laughs> so I called, my, I called out Jaffe a half hour later. I said, Jaffe, I needed your help a half hour ago. I wish you were with me to give <laughs> had nothing for the guy. Well, Gil- yes, Gil- Gilbert, a you're a mad reader from way oh, back. Yeah. And Ar- one of Arnie's specialties, along with celebrity wallets, which I always enjoy. Oh, but, thank you. But thank one you. of Arnie's specialties were the parodies, the movie and the TV parodies. Oh, yes. And he did Botch yeah. Casually and the, and the what was it, and the yeah. Sum Dunce Kid. Sum Dunce Kid, And Least yes. Horizon, the wonderful parody of that, that terrible oh, Ross Hunter musical. I didn't know anyone read, read that. Oh, wow, yes. Thank you. Thank oh, you. yes. Yeah, and, lots and, of I remember the word or sound yich was yeah. always very popular. <laughs> that was one of the sounds, yes. I don't know if I wrote also, that much. Blech a lot. Blech, blech and yich. Uh, yeah. Pots yeah. Rebe. So Schluggener, uh, yeah. Titanic would be titan yich. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yich and yich were in there quite a bit, yes. And one yes. joke that was seemed to have been in every single movie parody was yeah. one person going, I can't take it any longer. And the other one would go, you mean the guns and the bloodshed? And the other <laughs> would go, no, oh, no, this dopey movie. <laughs> oh, so, so you read my stuff, huh? <laughs> Arnie, I go through those things today. The eight, yeah. the eight, John, the eight James Bond movies. Oh, well, thank you. That's great. Is, you, took, you took the right side, the classic stuff. Thank you. Now, that's all... Collapsed. Now, you know the the Mad Magazine has restarted. I know they're out. They yeah. left and they went out west. Yeah. And it's hold all... up, yeah, hold up. Uh, yeah, I stopped writing for them about a year ago. I did fifty eight years with Mad Magazine from nineteen fifty nine to last year, and um, I've written my I've had my I've written my last for I've typed my last for Schlugner for Schlugner, <laughs> which is the bad name for a, a sad novel. My last for Schlugner. Type my last yep. for Schlugner. And and I think uh, the Godfather was something like the. Claude Father. Oh, there was the Odd well, Father. The Odd Father, Father. Yes. yeah. Siegel did that. The funniest story ever for Matt was written by a guy named Tom Cook, who wrote for Bob and Ray. He was a writer for Bob oh, yeah. and Ray. K-O-C-C-H. K-O-C-H. Right, right, right. Pronounced, yes. And he he had a thing called 43 Man Squamish. He made a, he created a game, a combination of rugby and soccer and football and 12, it was brilliantly hysterical. You, I was pounding the table when, you know, Spit soda through my nose. Very, very funny stuff. Well, he very wrote funny. those great Bob and Ray bits, yes. the slow talker yeah. of America yeah, and all that. Like that's Komodo the guy. Dragon. I yeah. had no idea they had a writer, yeah. but then when I found out they did, it was holy shit! That guy's a genius. Yeah, yeah. I remember individual jokes of yours from the magazine, Arnie. That's that's how sick well, I am. I remember I, I remember a Bernadette Peters joke in your longest yard <laughs> parody. <laughs> in, 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 which, longest in, yard? Which one? Longest yard? The longest oh, yard. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I did. Uh, 
Yeah. Really? It was a joke Whoa. about her hair exploding. I can't remember. <laughs> I, I liked Who Boy Columbus. I used to. I yeah. used to. Oh, I, wow. Oh, yes. You've read a lot. Yes. I love that stuff. I got, having a dad write for Mad Magazine in elementary school was kind of a big deal. I can imagine. If, if an eight-year-old could get pussy, I could have <laughs> worked my way into that. <laughs> Jay, Jay, I'm calling your mom. Unfortunately, I'm, call, I'm getting on the iPhone and calling him. The best I got was an extra chocolate milk. That's the best I got. <laughs> I got I, nothing. Yeah. I remember I was a fan of Don Martin. Oh, sure. Brilliant. Sure. And he looked, when we went on the mad trips every year, they, uh, almost every, every year, Bill Gaines would take the writers and artists on these mad trips. I went, I was working a lot, so I couldn't go on them, but I went on a number of them. Don Martin was there. Don Martin looked nothing like what you'd expect him to look like. He looked like. He didn't have a, a giant head with crazy ears. <laughs> the, 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 and feet the TV, that folded. <laughs> yeah. The TV series uh, Adventures in Paradise. Uh, it was, I forgot who the, the good looking star. The, that's what Don Martin looked like. He looked a very handsome guy, very quiet on the man trips. He said like two words or four words, all true. But um, he looked, you know, nothing like what he what you'd expect him to look like. But the mad trips were great. You know, games would take the writers and artists and production people someplace in the world, and we'd have a, a zillion laughs. Yeah, I know Dick uh, DeBartolo, De and right. and uh, and I know Al. So we've we've heard this, the legendary stories of the trips. Yeah, you didn't get to go on all of them because you were busy working. Well, the first one I didn't get to go on. They went to Haiti, and uh, and they said, "Okay, you're going to Haiti, and um, Kogan will be going." And, and turns out, you needed to have written or uh, drew twenty pages to earn the trip to Haiti. And I had eighteen pages of my first year or second oh, year. So, urge. so they said, oh, "You mean Kogan's not going to go for two pages?" I said, "No, no, Gaines is very strict that way." I love Bill Gaines, but he was very strict. He said, "No, no." So about three years later, Bill Gaines' mother died. They said, are you going to the funeral? I said, I don't have enough pages. <laughs> so, I didn't go to the funeral. <laughs> Before we let you get you guys out of here, Jay, Jay, talk a little bit about working on Frasier. And uh, and with those those actors that I've heard you say could make any script better. It's true. I mean, it's one of the three best experiences of show business I've ever had. Uh, working on Frasier... With that writing staff, which was enormous, every writer there was was fabulous and smart and interesting and run the room by a, a great, great writer named Chris Lloyd, who now runs, who helped create Modern Family and runs half of it, uh, was just genius. I mean, we, we wrote plays. They were really plays. They were, they were you know three-act, four-act plays. Mm -hmm. And we'd sit and, and, and people would, it wouldn't be about going from scene to scene to scene. People would take our time. They'd build the story, and they'd use the characters, and they'd make really smart, interesting choices. Now, we'd give those scripts our best best efforts to that cast, and they would always make it better, and usually make it better by just embodying those characters and taking their time and really, you know, the best jokes. It's like your money or your life. If mm -hmm. you know what the character's thinking, if you, the audience, is ahead of the joke— and you you ask uh, Niles, you know, what's who's your favorite pitcher? Uh, and you know Niles knows nothing about sports. And you see him thinking. There's just joy yeah. in seeing him think and how long he can hold out that beat. And they would always, if in rehearsals, they would always blame themselves if something was going wrong. They would say, we wow. did it wrong. We did it wrong. And, and we'll do it better next time. And we would tell them, no, it's bad. We've written something bad for you. 
let us write something better for you. And it was the only show I've ever worked on where the actors didn't hate the writers and the writers didn't seem to hate the actors. They were, they were, each one was in awe of the other in a way that made everything better. How refreshing. Kelsey Grammer hates me. Yeah, Kelsey's not a fan of Gilbert's. Uh, Did you louse him? (laughs) (laughs) What happened? (laughs) Why does Kelsey Grammer hate you? I, I mean, Frank uh, was working on a show at Kelsey Grandma heard I was on it. It was a roast, and Kelsey came, and Gilbert was booked on the same roast. And as soon as Kelsey showed up and knew Gilbert was there, he split. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and it has to do with Gilbert, uh, it has to do with you uh, teasing him on the, or teasing his, making fun of his wife's well, yes, disorder I, on the Howard I, Stern show. I was on the Howard Stern, and we did like a couple of hours of her with the irritable bowel syndrome. The ex-wife. <laughs> <laughs> that they even, and to make matters worse, they animated it. <laughs> and, wow. and when he had his TV show, wow. they okay. animated her with us doing the voices and her with her irritable bowel syndrome. Oh, he might not hate you so much now. I'm just going to say that. After the divorce. I, the no, divorce may, no have, may have bridged the gap. Uh, but Kelsey, by the way, you know, is and was... Genius, wonderful, and one of the greatest stars of any show I've ever worked with. He led people in a very positive way on the stage and made everybody's lives better and clearer. So, uh, you know, on this side, Gilbert, I'm sorry, I have to take Kelsey's side. <laughs> I have to leave that. It's only right. <laughs> He's leaving. He left the room. Jay took left the headphones the off and left the room. <laughs> <laughs> did, did David Hyde Pierce pitch jokes? Oh, my God. Uh, yes, he pitched jokes all the time, but never for his character. Always for one of the other characters. Generous. And when we were stuck on a joke, he would he would sidle over to us and kind of whisper in one of the writer's ears, you know, one of the characters could say X, Y, and Z. And it would always be brilliant, and it would always be funny, and never for him. He was a giving, smart actor. He could have written any of our shows. He could have done it. He's a great writer, great director, great musician, great actor. He can do, David I. Pierce can do anything. And it was an honor to work with him. Really. When I was doing Newhart, he would come over to me and whisper to my ear, lines through <laughs> Larry, Daryl, and Daryl. Right. So I had no really? idea that he... Yeah, no. no. Yeah. But you know yeah. actors all want more lines. They want more... Not of course. Him. He, did, he just was just giving to the show. He just wanted the show he to He wasn't done. William Shatner, in other words. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he was not. Yeah, yeah. I, I will also direct our listeners to your wonderful Emmy acceptance speech when you won oh, yes. for Frasier, which they can find online. And it's, and it's truly... It is a, it is a shining moment the, to, yeah. to watch you run through the audience <laughs> thanking theory, each person in the theater. Yes, I tried to do Roberto Benini had been on Academy Awards like that year <laughs> and I decided to try and do Roberto Benini <laughs> as best I could and I also wanted very much to sort of hug and kiss celebrities who didn't know me. I wanted to just run up and grab people who didn't know me and just say, we did it, we did it, you know. But, but unfortunately, the only people in my aisle were actually people I knew. Yeah, so yeah. it was hurting my bit. So I, uh, so I, I ran up and then I did Kelsey, a bunch of jokes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kelsey was there and, and Hank Azaria and Helen Hunt, who I'm, I'm friendly with. But uh, but what I tried to do, which is I don't believe awards really mean that you are the best of anything. Awards are just kind of bullshitty. But what's fun is to be able to give a speech and make jokes in front of an audience is fabulous. You know, I was a 16-year-old kid trying to brush my teeth to La Bamba, so I'm willing to do anything <laughs> for what I think will get a laugh. Well, it's great. You say you thank Sam Simon for taking a chance on a well-protected rich white kid. Yes, which is well a, which connected. Is a which, yeah, well connected. Well connected. Rich I'm right sorry. Kid. Yes, yeah, exactly. It's a right. Funny line. But, uh, yeah, no, I had I had 
pages of jokes lined up. And I started to get joke after joke, and I started to get played off. And this will bring back to Bruce Valanche, who was writing on the Emmys and sitting in the booth, told the uh, the director, let the guy go. Let the guy go. So he, Bruce Valanche is responsible for me getting the full speech out. I didn't know that till now. wonderful. Yes. Well, Pay, well, a little but, payback for did, did, exactly. maybe, maybe did you tell Tell them a line about your mom, about real estate. Oh, well, I don't yeah. want to spoil it okay, for the people well, going on the internet, but oh, yes, okay. I, I, I do a lot of jokes about uh, my mother being a real estate agent and, and all the people. And it's, it's, it's fine. Well, tell us something about John Mahoney, who just passed. The great John Mahoney. Rat bastard. Oh, my God. <laughs> Thank God he's dead. Thank God he's dead. I would have killed him myself if he hadn't already died. <laughs> Fuck him. <laughs> um, no, I, John, John was, you know, I don't think I worked there for a bunch of years. I think I said three words to each other. He came in. Really? He did his job. He was like a journeyman. He, wanted, he came in. He did his job. He liked acting. He liked doing it. And then he went home. And that was his thing. It was not... He was he was there. He loved acting and he loved doing it. He didn't make a big deal about it. And it was he was really smart and special. And he sort of he brought he fully brought his humanity to the to the part. And that's was a, a you know a grounding force to that show. And the combination of his character and the other characters were what made that show good. If it was just you know a bunch of effete guys. Uh, you know, without sort of a blue collar bent, it would not have been a good mix. So mm -hmm. uh, he, but he was, he was strong. He, he never missed a line. He always was uh, uh, funny and, but he never, he never played anything for a joke. He played everything for a reality. And that is a great lesson to all actors who want to be funny. Play the reality to committing to that reality as best you can. That's what's funny. Oh, we Even just had somebody on saying that. We just had we just had a comedic actor a on saying saying play it like Strindberg. I think it was Ed Begley, That's, Ed Begley yeah. Jr. We just had on. Well, he said well, play, he, it, play he, it like he could be funnier. He could be funny. <laughs> but I'm telling you, it, it, it's like <laughs> when they were first making Airplane, the studio wanted to fill it with comedians, right? Mm -hmm. And they, and they fought said, that. Oh yes. said, yeah. No, yeah. dramatic actors. Yeah. yeah. Good, good no, move. I mean, but so, but yeah. I mean that so silly. There, you know, the, the 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 dramatic actors sort of grounded it and sort of played it straight, allowed it to sort of get back on tracks for uh, uh you know for more more time for the jokes. But even in in a show like you know whatever the, the, any comedy that's worth its salt has actors who are trying to embody a reality. They're not winking at the camera. They're not. They're not. Playing it for big gags. The second you do try to play it for big gags, you're ruined. You're done for. That's and I, it. And I think jo uh, George Burns liked to have actors on his show because he said they believe it, the yeah. lines they're saying. Yeah. yeah. yeah the actors and Fred Allen. So <laughs> Arnie, we're going to let you guys get on with your lives. But t quickly, tell us either something about uh, Tom Poston, who we love. Yeah, or I, I or, him, or the yeah. great Richard Mulligan, who we also love. I loved. I liked. I knew Poston better and loved him and was very, kind of close to him. And um, um, you know, big loss. And I loved doing the Newhart show. All the Newhart shows I did, and Tom was a big part of that. So um, you know, Newhart for me was like uh, Jack Benny, and uh, he was a reactor in, in, as far as doing comedy. But Poston. Oh, I knew him from Yarmy's Army, and I've known. Uh, in fact, when I moved into a building recently, ten years ago, it took, I bought his apartment in uh, in Los Angeles. But Tom is a beautiful, really. Uh, the phrase "beautiful guy" is 
the, as the wrong phrase, but he truly was. Boston was great. Very sweet. He was sweet to me too, yeah. and and uh, we were friendly with his son. And you know, he's you know, as you grow up, you know, you you, you meet people who are who are star like, and people who are just people. And Tom was just good people. And he was kind of edgy when he did a comedy bit. He had a lot of edge to it. The, the quiet Tom Posen character, the handyman, was not really what Tom was all about. But he was kind of slick and very funny. I, I liked him a lot. Yeah, he's the kind of guy that would have just been so perfect for this show. We tried to get Bill Dana, and yeah. Bill, Bill was in failing health. Yes, right. Uh, you know, we we try to we try to tell the history through these guys. Yeah, it's so rich. There's so much of it. Yeah, yeah all those guys, Bill, the, the Steve Allen guys. You got anybody else on from that show? Or they? I all, think we lost them all. Well, Louis yeah, Nye's yeah. gone, and, and yeah, uh, Pat, Har- Pat Harrington's gone, and we, that's you know, true. We didn't. Yeah. We did. We started this four years ago. I mean, we're you know we're we're thrilled with the people we have been able to get, including both of you. I, I remember well, you. talking briefly to uh, Bill Dana on the phone shortly yeah. before he died, and I remember, boy, I was looking forward to because he was still funny. Yeah, yeah, very funny guy. I spoke to him just after he died, and he's still funny. <laughs> really? <laughs> still, still, still had it. <laughs> what do you got coming up, Jay? Um, I'm driving Dad home. Yep. Uh, oh, he's driving <laughs> me home. You're, you're, you're and then di- Pollo Loco. Pollo Loco tonight. You're directing these days. I, I try to direct. I, I can't. I seem to. I, I there's a, there's one person who will hire me, and that's me. Okay. I wind up hiring myself a lot because I'm very good. Um, but I want other people <laughs> to hire me as well. Uh, but yeah, I've been doing a, a show that just got canceled. The School of Rock. I directed a bunch of them, and I directed mm-hmm. the show before that, Wendell and Vinny, and now. Uh, I've got did, a few pilots going. You did a show going. with my friend Max Burnett. You did the troop with my friend Max. The troop, absolutely, yeah. and uh, and and I got to direct there too. So uh, I've been enjoying directing because it again it gets me out of that locked room that I so dreaded as a as a boy, uh, and actually working with actors and and uh, to me that's so much more fun to w- work on the stage with actors. I'm going to go home now and put Jay in a locked room. I'm going to lock yeah. him in a room. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Gil? Wow. That's a show. Well, it's like, now I know you've never used me on The Simpsons, and now I've got some guy on uh, the, the uh, what was that? The Big uh, oh, oh, the, the Big, Big Bang, Bang Theory, Theory, Bill Prady. Who has never used me on The Big Bang Theory. Well, wait a minute. They, no. did, they did guest voices on Frasier, and uh, Jay never used you on that either. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. That's good. <laughs> right. And, and Arnie, it's so good working with you again. <laughs> <laughs> Every fucking 35 years Say, we're going to do this. Gonna... Say, would you rather me work with you or work on the thick of the night? If those are the choices. <laughs> yes. No working is better than working on thick of the night. I've got to say that Alan was very nice with my sister, my daughter, uh, who passed away last year. But when she was 13 years old, she was a tremendous hockey fan. Went to the uh, Kings games. Alan, who was big with the hockey uh, group, he arranged for the... The auditorium to right, happy birthday, Jill, and then invited her up to the forum club and had one of the King's players, Butch Goring, who had never said five words his whole life. He sang happy birthday to her, yeah. so it was a huge, huge thrill. To, wow, you know, oh. we appreciated that yeah. oh, very much. Yeah, yeah, worth a year of horror from the thing of the night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we had Alan on the show. Oh, yeah, yeah, yes. well, Gilbert had real hist- had history with him. Yeah, and I and I switch wives with him. 
Okay. <laughs> wife swap. They did wife swap. <laughs> yeah. Did you and Belzer do a bit where you were, he was ventriloquist and you were his dummy? <laughs> yes. I, yes. I seem to remember that a little bit. I seem to recall that. Yeah. yeah. Dick and Stinky. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I would sit on Belzer's lap. Yes. I, yeah. <laughs> I sat on his lap last week. It was not received very well. <laughs> Guys, we can't thank you enough for this and for sure. Thank, for you. thank you. What an honor and a pleasure. Oh, thank my you God. I can't, I've had more fun doing this one than any in 20 shows. Wow. Just pure thank laughter. You. Thank you. What do you and think, Gil? I'll, Invite us back anytime. We will. Okay, well, we have been talking to uh, Jake Hogan. <laughs> who's never used who's you. Who's never used me. <laughs> <laughs> On The Simpsons, and Arnie Kogan, my old friend from <laughs> Thick of the Night. Wait a minute, Arnie, did you ever write anything for him specifically either? I don't recall that. No. Okay, so Arnie. <laughs> I, <don't recall> <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I said I don't want to. I said, I, please, leave me out of this one. They stiffed you, both stiffed you. That, that, that sounds like one of those answers you'd give at a trial. I don't recall. <laughs> I got about twenty cards here in my hand, and I think we got through about ten of them. So we'll have uh, you. We'll have you guys back, and we'll, and we'll okay. We'll thank have, you. We'll have more fun. Thank you. So because as uh, as we always say at the end of each show, we haven't scraped the surface. Well, you know they've met a lot yeah. of people and written for a lot of people, and there's only so much you can cover. In I thought you were going to say scrape the bottom of the barrel. I didn't know where you were going <laughs> too. with that exactly. We had a great time, guys. Thanks so much. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Amazing Colossal Podcast is produced by Dara Gottfried and Frank Santapadre with audio production by Frank Verderosa. Web and social media is handled by Mike McCadden, Greg Pear, and John Bradley Seals. Special audio contributions by John Beach. Special thanks to Paul Rayburn, John Murray, John Fodiatis, and Nutmeg Creative. Especially Sam Giovanco and Daniel Farrell for their assistance. 